Great hardware, terrible software. Anyway, what we're going to look at today, building upon the foundation of the home, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, Mother, Child. Um, I'm not saying that the father of the home is a correlate to the father and the wife is correlate to the son and the children are correlate to the Holy Spirit. Um, But there is some relationship such that we say that the society of men is the image of God. Um, I listened to a lot of Simon and Garfunkel growing up. That was the kind of stuff my parents played. John Denver, Gordon Lightfoot, all the sort of fledgling feminists, first-wave feminists like Joni Mitchell that are now insufferable. Um, We listened to all that stuff growing up. And there was that song that Simon and Garfunkel, um, they were famous for, I Am a Rock, I Am an Island, which is hilarious that they sang it as a duet. I'm sorry, your worldview is showing Simon and Garfunkel. A wonderful duet. But no man is a rock. No man is an island. And one of the things that Bovink speaks of in that book on the Christian family, which I would commend to you, um, you can get it on heritagebooks.org, or if you want to supply the beast with more money, you can go to Amazon. Just kidding. Amazon is a great place to buy books. In fact, when I was starting this series, I thought, I don't have a hard copy of The Family by Herman Bovink. I bought it on Friday, and it came on Saturday. What, a, what, a, what an age in which we live. Um, I would commend that book to you. What he says in that book is, the husband needs the wife, the wife needs the husband, the children need the parents, male needs female, female, and in that, there is a more complete picture of the fellowship of the Godhead. It is no mistake... It is not irony that Satan attacks the home. And not only does Satan attack the home, but Satan attacks those places where the promises of God are most acutely given. And what are they? Take dominion, be fruitful, and multiply. And so this transgenderism movement, this sexual liberation movement, these are satanic attacks not on the mere individual. Because they are not attacks on one person, they are an attack on two people. Specifically, a husband and a wife. The covenant of marriage and the offspring that that covenant brings. Now, if the family is the place where Satan trains his guns, would it not also follow that the family is where we ought to, as a church, train a lot of our attention in terms of strengthening, teaching, building? Okay, When Satan comes to the woman and to the man, he's not just trying to get her to sin. He's trying to bring all of mankind under destruction. So what is the destruction of the home? Where is the origin, not just of its identity, but its fall? It's at the tree. And what results from the sins of the woman, she's not Eve yet. We do not need to say that Adam and Eve sinned. Adam, Ish, and Isha, or Adama. I guess you could call her Adama, but that no one says that. It sounds funny. It's the Hebrew word for man and woman. Yes, that's gender. Gender is grammatical. It is not biological. Sorry, I just have to inject that there. I'm trying to get canceled. That's what I'm trying to do. So, man, Adam is the covenant head of all, all mankind. And in Adam's obedience, all would have obeyed. In his sin, all would sin. 
He's standing there while there is this unholy interruption in the business of fellowship between man and woman. Right? The first thing Adam says when he sees the woman is, all right, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And the next thing we read about is that here comes Satan in the form of a serpent. We read that in the book of Revelation. We read that in the book of Romans. And he wants to destroy everything. And he does so by creating between men conflict, persons, and between man and God. So that when sin hits and the weight of it, the fruit of their rebellion hits, not only do they feel ashamed, but they feel ashamed in solitary, in a solitary nature. They hide, and they're not just hiding from God. They are hiding from the shame they feel with one another. And the way we know that they felt shame with regards to one another is when God says, what did you do? Eve blames the serpent, and then, well, before that, Adam blames his wife. It goes from hubba hubba to that woman you gave me. She did it. And if that doesn't feel like every argument you've ever had with your wife, ever, then you're not paying attention. You did. Have you ever had an argument? Just a knock. Maybe you haven't. A knockdown, drag out argument, and then like a day later, you don't even remember what the problem was. It's just what? Anything so that I can appear to be the innocent party here. I will say anything if it means I can be proved right in my own eyes. So that is the origin of the discord in the home. And it is felt in the home first. First. And the fallout of that sin is everything that touches the creation mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, and to take dominion. Men do what? In their call to rule their homes, they sin in one of two ways, or maybe both. It just depends on the day. Either they're tyrants or they are ineffectual. They abandon their call. And you see this oftentimes in the church. Even right now, what we find due to the rise of effeminacy in the culture is you have a lot of masculine gurus and they say, take control of your home. And what a lot of men do is, all right, I'm going to do it. And they jump, what do they call it? Jumping the shark. They jump way over on the other side. Um, women, in the way they sin, which the church never talks about, right? It's easy to talk about the sin of men, but very few pastors talk about the sin of women. Uh, and why do you think that is? Well, because most church, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. I don't mind hacking off women pastors. Well, actually, there's no such thing as a woman pastor, right? There's no such thing as a female pastor because you can't be a pastor and be a woman. So you can't, right? It's like having gay marriage. It's not possible, right? It's, um, as some would say, same-sex mirage. Um, there are certain things that we're not allowed to call it because God calls it that thing, and the fact that he names it means we have to play by his rules. So... Stop getting me off track, man. The reason we don't often talk about female sins is because most people in churches today, the reason they're there is because it is the wife that brings them to church. It, they are membership-led. Memberships are being led by women and children. 
And the way that you know this is in, when anybody ever visits Reformation that's coming from a broadly evangelical church, the hang-up for not leaving, do you know why it is? My kids really like the youth group. And I get that they don't want to leave that fellowship, especially when you have homeschool families. That is very important. But it is almost never... Um, What's been happening is for years, their children have been conditioned to think they're the reason. They are the ones who get to make choices about where to go to church. So what are the sins of women? Well, undermining and nagging. Men do those things too. right? There's, there, there, there are ways in which we sort of cross-pollinate in terms of our sins. We kind of go back and forth. But what we find in this fallout is a complete disruption of the family. When husbands and wives fight, it's because of sin. And that fallout in the family isn't just contained within the family. It bleeds into every avenue of society. And the reason that the Western, our Western society is so given over to sexual sin is because the church did not take seriously the call to hold families to holiness together, corporate holiness, family, familial holiness. You know, when the Southern Baptist Church said, we're not going to discipline people who get no fault, who divorce unbiblically, they lost it. They lost any. So what do we have now in the Southern Baptist Church? Rampant abuse. Do you know why? Because men are trying to get back what they lost, what they freely gave up, and what they're doing is they're jumping the shark. And I'm not saying only Southern Baptists. In the OPC, what you have is this tendency to hyper-patriarchalism, where every decision, everything has to go through the dad, to the point that a very unqualified, ungodly man is often calling the shots, and that somehow children are saved through their fathers. And it, it, it it is the tendency of men looking at the discord, not to apply the gospel, but to just apply law, 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 law. But what the answer is, is found in the name that Adam does give his wife. That's when the name Eve comes. So between the fall and the story of Cain and Abel, the woman becomes pregnant which is a testimony of what? God's grace. The family has never lived under anything other than sin. I would argue, I would contend that the marriage ceremony of Adam and his wife took place right before Satan showed up. Satan showed up at the reception. Why? Because he wanted he didn't want any of this. He didn't want to give any, he didn't want any glory to go to God. He wanted to ruin the whole thing. So you have this ceremony and then here, you know, in he walks, his polyester suit, right? Tacky as can be. And he shows up to destroy the reception. Adam and his wife had not yet even consummated the marriage. That's how quickly it took place. They got married, and there he is, like the uncle, you know, that nobody invited to the wedding. He shows up, and he ruins the whole affair. And that is the moment that they received not only the warnings, the curses, but also the promises. So that when Adam finally got to consummate the marriage, she got a child, as the Bible says, which is 
grammatically, what does that reflect? That God was good to his promise to give to them a son. And that is when he called her Eve, which means what? Henry, do you know? Mother of all living. There is some good information in these 75 pages of notes. So, the name of the woman is a name that denotes Adam's faith in the promise. Every woman is Eve. Every, woman is, every man is Adam in a sense in their own homes. And so a father has been given authority to rule, to guard, to guide, to govern. And it is woman's responsibility within the providence of God to perpetuate the line of the godly family. And so that covers the homes, what did I call that? Homes destruction. That even out of that destruction, the curse, there is a name of life. Let's look at the home's redemption. The family has been given a hope. What is the hope of the family? More godly families. What was the hope of every Jewish woman that believed in the promise? What did Hannah hope in? Why did she want a child? And why did she want a son so badly? What was the principal hope? Maybe... Not just a son, mother of the Messiah. Messiah. What a hope that maybe from my womb would come one like me, a man, a person, a human, who would, for other people, for humans, cancel the power of sin, destroy the great enemy of men. That's the hope. The hope is that our children, not just the one, the one son, but that all of our children, as the fruit and the manifestation of God's promise that he will fill the earth with a godly seed. Because even if our children are not the Messiah, believe me, I'm not the Messiah, none of my children. That, that hope was, would have been, <laughs> that question would have been answered long ago. Right, The first time they cried in defiance, oh gosh, well now they're, that's it, they've sinned, you know, in terms of actual sin. Our hope is not just the Messiah to come, but now that the Messiah has come, what is our hope? For a godly seed, that God would continue to fill the earth with those who will take upon themselves Our God, the God of their parents, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, whenever God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament calls men to faith and repentance, it is always a biography of what God has done with his children. Look at what I have done. In fact, tonight, Joshua chapter 24, God takes the second generation of those who left Egypt and he says, you are the same. And the way that you are the same is the same thing that happened to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because in the beginning of Joshua 24, we ask the question, what was Abram's father like? Terah. He was a pagan who lived on the other side of what? A river. What is the importance of water and its symbolism in the Old Testament? And even today, you pass through water to God's holy sanctuary for worship. Why do we baptize our children? 
Because we are saying they're on the same side as the river as we are, the same side of the sea, the same side of death, because water, what does water denote? Passing through death into life. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. It is a creational and a recreational symbol for something that God does. He brings life from death. That's our hope. That even as our children are born into the world, we say, Lord, this child belongs to you. Would you, by your grace, awaken in them true life? May they not just be Israel by name, Christian by name, but Christian in heart and soul. That's our hope. And the way that I think it will one day be expressed is that there will be one day on earth only Christian families. So what is our mission? Christian globalism. Yeah, plotting one baby, one soul at a time. Human gestation, we're familiar with this. Nine, 40 weeks, right? Give or take. Doctors, you want to put it on a schedule because, right, they're doctors. They know everything. But, you know, it's, it's every 40 weeks a child is conceived and then it more or less comes, is born into this world. So from conception to birth, there is this, ladies, I don't, I've not been through it, right? I've just not been through it. You're talking, you're mansplaining, I don't know, whatever. But if you want to have 10 kids and you start at 25, you're going to be having babies for a long time. You're going to spend most of the first part of your married life pregnant, nursing, all of that stuff, changing poopy diapers, all of it. It's, it's time-consuming. Not just in the care, it's painful. But what does it do? Who isn't having children right now? Who isn't having children right now? Oh my goodness. Who are not having children right now? Well, yes. In fact, recently I heard a wonderful debate between Jeff Durbin, who's the pastor of a church out in Phoenix, Arizona, and James White, and this guy named Brandon Robertson. You know who Brandon Robertson is? Brandon Robertson is the gay pastor. That's his, that's his moniker or something along those lines. And they were talking about sexual ethics and the scriptures. And the question that James White put to Brandon as plainly as possible is, can life come from same-sex relationships? It took five minutes for him to answer that question. Because he kept saying, life is not the primary call in marriage. Life is not the primary call in marriage. Life is not the primary call in... Okay, let's say it's not the primary. Let's say the primary call is holiness connected to satisfaction. When a husband and wife love each other and are wholly devoted to one another and to the Lord, providentially speaking, more often than not, what is occurring? <laughs> Babies. Let's just pass. We'll get to the fruit part. Babies are happening more often than not. What can never happen out of affection felt between same-sex couples? Life. It can never happen, right? Which is why they have dogs, because they can't have babies. It is why they're often school teachers. Or they're in those industries of like in vet, in vet clinics. Like they're all about nurture, but they don't have the capacity to bring life into the world. The mission of the family is not just 
to bring forth biological life. It is to raise living people, soul-bearing humans that will never die in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You cannot have a church without children. And one of the great signs of a church's poor health is when they have a building paid off and no children being born. At that point, if a pastor comes to that church, what should be his primary mission? Well, to have as many children as possible with his wife, but also what? To try to bring families in who are replicating the saints, either through natural generation, but our children, we don't assume they are regenerate just because they come out of a Christian woman and are born to a Christian father. I mean, even the teacher of Israel said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Christ says, what must you do? You must be born again. And he goes, you mean I have to go back? Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know this? Is this not what the Old Testament taught over and over and over again? It means nothing to clothe yourself. You must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You must be born again. And so what is our mission? Our mission is to make more Christians. How do you do that? Now I'm confused because of the front and back. Well, we do. I didn't say we regenerate. Right? But that's, this isn't a lesson on what God should be doing. He knows. He does it. We can only do what we've been told to do, which is to raise up a child in the way that they should go. And what is the promise? That they're going to have... Problem-free teen years, right? I can't. I love teenagers. I don't love teenagers. I love my teenagers, but I wish we had separate housing quarters for our teenagers. You go live out there. We'll stay in here, and when you're ready to get involved in the life of this home, then you can come back into our house. Do you know what I'm saying? If you've ever lived through that, <laughs> says the teenager. It's too late. He's actually, well, we'll see. He may be volunteering. Um, And the reason we have a mission, and the reason why that mission will be successful is because we have a Messiah, we have a Redeemer. To your point, Justin, what we must do as parents is point our children to the one who covers our iniquities. So our children should know that every thought, word, and deed will be recorded. But the way in which that becomes something that is in a kind of Gothardite legalism is that God is extraordinarily gracious to sinners. Guys, the book that God has recorded my sins in is bigger than your book, I guarantee you. And it, like I said, a lot of them are written in this pen. They're bad And my only hope is that that writing cannot stand against the work that Christ has done on my behalf. And it's finished. It's already done. It's completed. So I don't wake up in the morning like Luther did prior to reading the gospel in Romans. It took him till he was a theological teacher. He was a seminary professor. And he did not know the gospel. Sounds like our seminaries today. 
well, some of our seminaries, like the one that Brandon Robertson went to. He's a John Dominic Crossum guy, the Jesus Seminar. You know what they did? What the Jesus Seminar does is they take marbles, little balls, little different colored marbles, and they vote on whether the things that Christ did or said, he actually did or said. The, the audacity and the arrogance of that kind of academia is astounding. But we do that too, don't we? We take sections of Scripture and we'll say, I, I kind of like this little thing over here. I'm going to... I don't think God is really upset about my lust. <laughs> Greed, God doesn't like. right? We, we give ourselves a pass on the things we like to do, and we're very severe. That means we're both modern and postmodern at the same time. What we are doing is we are pointing our children day in, day out, to the Redeemer. Which means, parents, when we sin, what do we do? We take our children to the cross with us together. And we say, your father is a lousy sinner sometimes. And the same Messiah that you need, I need. Don't follow me because I'm better. Don't follow me because everything I do is correct. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because all education is at its root imitational. Right? Monkey see, monkey do. So, it's hard to live humbly in that way. But our authority is not derived from our holiness as only our perfection. It is derived because God has actually given us authority. It isn't earned, it's given. And because it is thrust upon us, you know, like when that first baby is born to you, and you take that baby, and right, fathers, mom has had nine months to get acquainted with, this is a huge life change. Dad shows up, he makes his contribution, then he gets to the hospital, and he's sitting there going, this isn't that bad. <laughs> and then the baby, he takes the baby, and he's like, yeah, it's good to be a dad. And then four years later, he's going, or even in the day, just the day he breathed, I don't know what to do with this living, breathing, soul-bearing creature. But what do you do? You live out your faith before that child. Right? You live according to the moral law of God, and you confess your sins when you do it in a way in which they need to be confessed to your children and to your wife. And the fathers, you should confess your sins to your wife in front of your children when you've sinned in front of them. Your sons will learn how to treat their wives like you treat your wife. And your sons will learn to treat their wives how you encourage them to treat their siblings. Childhood is the seedbed. It is the place where we learn to be a family. So that leads me to my last point. Man, <laughs> of course I said this morning, I got to do that first point really quickly and the second point I really bogged down in. The Holmes eschatological pursuit. The home has weapons. And the weapons that a godly family have are far greater than the world has. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And when I say that, I want us to be encouraged because it seems as though the world, the flesh, and the devil are a, a mighty force that we cannot contend with. But the reason why so many in our culture 
are so backwards in terms of the family is because they lack a singular ingredient that they often did not have. And it was simple. Right? So if you know anything about botany, you can look at a plant's leaf and you can see, based upon the color of the leaf and the way it's growing, what its vitamin deficiency was. Ask Annie. She can tell you all about it. It's the same with human souls. Our mania as it relates to our identity as humans is directly related to the dissolution of the family in the West. And I don't think we can emphasize that enough. And it happened when we did not properly respond to the breaking up of time with father, mother, and child when much of human labor was farmed out to factories. And when nation states grew at such an alarming rate that the government said, you belong to us. Years ago, when the DNC had their convention in Charlotte, you remember Hillary Clinton? She ran for president one time. She got beat. It was fantastic. She said, what we want you to understand is that the primary membership of the person is not the family. It's not the family of God. It's what? The state. When she says that, she's not wrong in saying that Christians, even Christians, should rightly submit to all governing authority, according to Scripture. We do belong to body politics. But our primary membership is not to. Our mother, our father, our siblings are not governmental entities. They are what? They are familial entities. You do not have the right, anyone else, that is not the parent of my children, to usurp my authority and my responsibility. Now the reason why we're struggling right now is because we don't know what the family is from, and because we have lost a creational perspective on the family, guess what we've also lost? If we've lost the beginning, guess what we've lost? We've lost the end. If you lose creation, you forsake the finish, the end, the eschatology of it all. If you forget the cosmology, to use theological fancy words, where we come from, you forsake our biblical eschatology, where we're going towards. And so our eschatological pursuit is through the weapons, not of the world, but through what God has given us, wisdom and understanding and the word and spirit. Parents, you should strive to be understandable to your children. Right, there are times where you're talking to your kids. I know this has happened to you. It's happened to me a lot. And they go, huh? Change the way you say it. Relate biblical truths to their lives and be patient. Every night, as I lay my daughter down in bed, we pray together, and she says, Dad, when do I get to come to the Lord's Supper? I said, well, let's talk about that. I'm going to ask you some questions. And I ask her catechism, either catechism questions and answers, she gives the answers, or I ask her catechism-like questions. But she's so nervous about meeting with Spencer because he's so mean. I'm just kidding. Listen, my, chill, my two sons, Henry and Logan, I've never sat, I mean, I've sat 
through a handful of sermons with my wife. And it's wonderful now that the elders are leading worship because I can sit about five feet away from my wife versus this way because all the kids want to sit with me, which is wonderful. But Spencer and Teresa, and particularly Spencer, especially during the service, has catechized my sons. And so when someone asks Henry one day, why are you a Christian? You know what he should say? Spencer Grigg. Yes, the Holy Spirit regenerated my soul. But you know why I'm a Christian? Because my dad wore me out. He taught me to hate my sin. I remember that time my mom dressed me down verbally and then she took me to the bedroom and she spanked and I turned on and I laughed at her because it didn't hurt. She said, just wait till your dad gets home. And I was in my bedroom and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I, I don't know anything about the rapture, but if by some chance... That's true. Either take me or maybe the dogwood outside my window will support me as I climb out the port on the, you know, the roof and I run away into the woods. I was not man enough to run away. So what happened? My dad came home and he took his $300 alligator bill. My dad did not spend and does not spend a lot of money, but he had a nice belt. And I know he had a nice belt because it left very important marks on me. The $300 spanking. <laughs> if you're going to spend money, I guess spend it on that. You know, don't do it out. Wait till you get home. Um, your children remember what they did. Don't worry about that. <clears throat> and I look back and I think, I didn't think this at the time. I needed about 10 times more of those than I actually got. But what was my dad preparing me for? He wasn't humiliating me for humiliation's sake. He was teaching me not to be a cretin and to fear the just judgments of God. Because better a thousand spankings than that sentence of what? Condemnation. Better temporary judgment than eternal judgment. The family is that place, that great simulation of God's favor, covenantal favor, and covenantal displeasure. It's very important. The house has weapons. And not just weapons to assure the souls of our children are preserved, but also against the world. What is the home's role in dominion? It is a godly family. All good apologetics is ultimately covenantal and corporate. The lost will never be persuaded by one person that church life is the good life. They need to see the whole body. Faithful, daily, consecrated plotting. Not only is it a nine-month process to make children, but it is every single day. Every single day. And it's when you don't want to do it. Right? Either you're too tired to do the things your kids want to do, or you're too tired to do the discipline you need to do, and so you forsake that discipline. But nothing is menial. There is nothing menial in your child's life. The, the reality, the way you know that there is nothing menial to your children is they save sucker wrappers. My son got a new sports coat. Did you see it? He looks sharp. And <laughs> even when he was at the store... He had the tag on, and he didn't want to take it off. And the young attendant just could not handle the fact that he would not take it off. I have to put it in the bag. 
My wife's like, I've paid for it. I have the receipt. Let him wear it out of the store. And then for two days, he wore it around the house, playing video games, doing his chores with the tag on, wearing his sports coat. And then this morning, I said, listen, your dad spent some money on that coat. You can't wear it when you goof off. You can wear it at church, but you got to keep it looking nice. you got to keep your threads clean. And I said, can I at least cut the tag off? So I took the tag off. You know what he did with the tag? He saved it. Your children remember. Everything is important to them. They are watching every little thing. Now, I don't remember everything. But I remember the faithful discipline of my father. And it is what, that's how I learned. I didn't, I actually didn't take a parenting class. I had 18 years of parenting lessons, more or less. And I continue to have parenting lessons to this day. When I call my father every Monday on my way to teach, we talk 20, 30 minutes. You know what I'm doing? I'm sitting at the feet of a master. More masterful than me. It's the faithful, daily, consecrated plotting. All right, there's more here. Running out of time, but you know what about Sunday school? We got time. We have time. So we'll probably pick up there. You know, any questions? I I know that I just talk all Sunday. I don't I don't know what to do about that. And it's not to have fewer services. That's not the answer, by the way. Any questions as our children wait for us? Yes, you may say things. No, it doesn't. It is. And just keeps going, and God is very good to us by giving us grandchildren. I know. I can't wait. Take that baby. Here. (laughs) All the good things. Yeah, you're right. It is a beautiful thing. We are all sons of Adam, sons of Abraham. What a beautiful legacy God's building. Anyway, thank you, Annie. That was wonderful. Anybody else? Not as I have done. Yeah. If you want to point, point your children to the sin in your life and say, I did that. I'm not doing it anymore. Copy me now. And don't fall into the same holes that I did. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beautiful wedding of gospel and spirit wrought transformation. Yeah. We should do that with our wives too. Spouses. All right. Let me pray. Lord. It is a daunting task, but it is a very natural one to live at home. Lord, as we go to our homes, the evil one will even today endeavor to entice us to act out, to be selfish, impatient, frustrated. Lord, put an end to bickering. Put an end to selfish desires. Help us to outdo one another in service towards one another. And let us not be afraid of the dishes. We pray these things in your name. Amen.